0: If you will, <clears throat> take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter six. Revelation chapter six. If you're a guest today, preacher don't always play the piano. Our pianist has to work one Sunday a month, and so I try to sub when I can. Thank you for being here. If you are a guest, there's a visitors card in front of you. If you take a moment, take one, fill it out, drop it in the offering plate or the offering box. We'll appreciate it. <clears throat> Revelation 6. We're working our way through this book of the Revelation. I've already um, told you about the scenes of Revelation. I'll repeat it again for those who might be here for the first time. We're now in scene 4. Scene 1 is chapter 1, taking place on the Isle of Patmos, where Jesus appears to John the Beloved and reveals himself. Scene 2 is chapter 2 and 3. The seven churches that are listed in chapter 2 and 3 is the churches of the church age. Each church represents some church. All churches represent one of those churches. And Jesus is in that, in that scene. He is simply trying to get them to turn loose of this world and turn to him. Scene 3 is chapter five. Excuse me, 4 and 5. In chapter 4, it opens with the open door in heaven, and we call the rapture. Come up here, and we see a lot of things in chapter uh, 4 and 5. We see the throne room. We see the one on the throne. We see the scroll with seven seals. We see the lamb. We see him going through the emotional time that nobody can open the scroll because it takes, someone, it takes the landowner to open a land deed, and that's what that scroll is, the land deed to earth. And then as Jesus steps forward and takes the scroll, We see all of heaven bowing in worship, bowing on their faces, raising their hands, lifting their voice, singing as they worship the Lamb. And then as we get into chapter 6, the judgment of God begins. I want to say this clearly because I think it escapes us sometimes. The love of God, which we're all about, and the judgment of God are what you would say symmetrical. As sweet as the love of God is, so is the depth of the judgment of God. Because you see, He has given His most precious commodity, His own Son, to buy us back. And when we reject Him... We will fall into His judgment. A lot of people have trouble with that, that that this world is going to be judged by God Himself. He created it. He ordered it. He writes the rules for it. We have no right to rewrite the rules or to do anything else. And one day, He's going to come back and judge those who have rebelled against Him and have refused His offer of salvation. Where we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, last week, Chapter uh, 6, verse 1 through 8, we saw that sealed scroll, and Jesus took it in his hand. If you remember, I'll put you a picture in a picture. On the on the big picture was the chaos on earth. The little picture was the calm in heaven. And we watched in heaven as he popped one, two, three, four seals last week, and we saw what happened. We saw horses come out. Judge A white horse representing peace. A red horse representing war. A black horse representing poverty and a pale green horse representing death. We can see it in the context of, Amer- of of the world when the rapture occurs and millions of Christians are taken away. The world falls into chaos. A man comes on the scene to bring peace. But it's not just any peace. It's forced peace. At about uh, a little bit in there, he begins to start. Forcing peace on people. And if people won't accept his brand of peace, then it turns to war. He turns them against one another. And if you look back, he's given a sword and he killed people. And then the next next seal was opened. And it's it's that black horse of famine. Because you see, this leader who is so good, he has led the world into war and people are dying. People are starving. The the land itself won't produce fruit food, uh, food, uh, food for the people. It leads to death. I've been in a funeral business and emergency response enough to see and know death and understand that pale green, what that looks like. At that point. of the population has now died. In today's terms, that would be about almost 2 million, between 1.5 and 2 billion people that have died on the face of the earth. It's a putrid, horrible place. So today we're going to read from 9 to the end of the chapter, and we're going to look at, we're going to look at that fifth seal and that sixth seal. If you can and will, would you stand to honor the reading of God's holy word as we pick up At verse 9. It begins, When he opened, and that he is none other than Jesus the Lamb himself. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slaughtered or slain, depending on your translation, because of the word of God and the testimony they had given they cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood? So they were each given a white robe. And they were told to rest a little while until the number would be completed of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were going to be killed just as they had been. Then I saw him open the sixth seal. A violent earthquake occurred. The sun turned to black like sackcloth made of hair. The entire moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its unripe figs when shaken by a high wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll being rolled up. And every mountain and island was moved from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the nobles, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and every slave and free person hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Because the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if we're honest before you, We are often too arrogant to hear your words. We tend to overlook the penalty for not walking with you. You've given us your best, you've given us your son. And you encourage us who's, who has actually followed your son. That in the end, you're on the throne. That in the end, Satan will be defeated. That in the end, your people will reign with you. I pray that today, as we peer into your Word, I pray that we will be some of the ones who will be caught away and able to stand. If there's someone here that doesn't know you in a personal way, doesn't walk with you in a personal way, may today be the day that they take their hands off their life and give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The question asked by kings, nobles, generals, powerful, rich... Every slave and every free, you see it right there in verse 15, is the one that's on the screen. And the title of the message today, who is, who will be, who shall be able to stand. When you think about, when you look into verse 15, and you see this group of people, these are the elites. These are the people who who believe That they're going to be good no matter what. You see, folks, it's the arrogance of mankind that causes us to reject God's grace and ultimately lead us into punishment instead of receiving God's grace, instead of receiving God's mercy, instead of receiving God's eternal life. There are people, we read them right here, among us who will receive God's judgment. When the first four seals were opened, There was judgment. Now as we look at mankind and we look at earth, those first four seals have passed. And the world as we know it is literally destroyed. It's decimated. The people who have bought into the lie of this world. The people who continue to buy into the lie of this world. The people who have staked their lives on this world. That means you and me. That means some of us here today who have staked their lives on this world now stand neck deep in the consequences of God's judgment. Consequences are chaos and war and struggle and famine and death. I just want to pause It's saying, if you are placing your life, if your priorities are here in this world, if the emphasis of your living and life are here on this earth, one day you will regret it. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever you sow, one day you're going to reap. And I'm just going to tell you, the law of sowing and reaping is this: you will you will reap exactly what you sow. You will reap later than you sow, and you will reap more than you sow. To place all our focus on this world is to live under a curse. It was in 1809 that Robert Southey wrote these words. It'll be familiar to you. Curses are like young chickens. They always come home to roost. It's a restatement of a passage of Scriptures in Numbers. Numbers 32 says this. King James, it says, Be sure your sins will find you out. Christ's Standard Version says, Be sure your sins will catch up with you. To read our text today is to realize the arrogance of the leaders. The arrogance of the leaders and the dismissal of God in their regular life. And that it has now come home to roost on those who remain. I just was thinking about chickens coming home to roost. Here's what i want to tell you. If you think you're sinning and you're living... Listen to me, teenagers. You think you're sinning? I don't know. Why, why do we always do that with teenagers? Because teenagers aren't the ones most prone to sin. We're all the most prone to sin. If you think you're getting away with your sin, let me just tell you, you're not. You're already being found out. God in heaven watches your every move, hears your every thought, your every place you go, every action you take, and He knows... He knows. I want us to, as we look at our text today, and I'm going to try to get back on it, there's so much here that just kind of oozes out. I want to describe today in two general thoughts. The first four seals, as we said, have have have, have happened. Those have been he popped a seal and something happened. Seals six and seven: when he pops those seals, something happened. Five is a little bit different, because when that seal pops, instead of something being unleashed on the earth, we see something. So let's outline it this way. I want you, to, first of all, to see the sacrifice of the saints, the sacrifice of the saints. We look here and we read about the fifth seal, and always, and what, we, what happens is that we see under the altar the souls of those who had been slain or slaughtered, slaughtered because of the word of God, and watch this, because of their testimony under the altar, under the altar. Now, most of you know from Sunday school that the tabernacle on earth that we find over in Exodus and Leviticus, is a caricature of the worship in the throne room. It's kind of a facsimile. And, and in the temple, excuse me, in the tabernacle, it was a brazen altar where the animals were sacrificed. And the way it was designed is that when they sacrificed the animals, literally the blood would run, run off the foot symbolizing that this animal had been sacrificed for a person who offered it and here's our picture in our scripture we see the souls of those under the altar they have already been poured out for the Lord these were the ones that are likely have been saved during the after the rapture, during the first part of the tribulation. These are the ones who have given their all. They can't stand before Him now because they have fallen and been killed for Him. You see, Jesus had given His life for them. Now they gave his, their life for Him. They are under the altar because now they are under the providential hand of God. So see a couple of things about these. Uh, before before I move forward, I'll just tell you. Gener- generally speaking, it's accepted that those who are saved after the rapture will likely have their head cut off for no other reason than their faith. I want you to see three things. First thing, see their pain. See their pain. Major surgery is something they do on me, Tim. Minor surgery is something they do on you. Big pain is something I have. A small pain is something that afflicts you. The pain of these martyrs are unimaginable. They have been the word slain, slaughtered, sacrificed the word literally means butchered and in those days some people may be pulled apart with animals like they were back before in Christ's time i'm going to just say this again all those people can be saved i said it last week if you're not saved now chances are you're not going to receive jesus in in the uh, after the uh, tribulation because Thessalonians tells us that God sends a big delusion. Second of all, if you receive Christ and try to live by faith during this time, it is immediate death, unlike today when you trust Christ and there's no repercussions. Under the altar are the souls of the people who've been killed during the rapture. Post-rapture, salvation will be deadly for those left. It's going to be gory. It's going to be painful. Second thing I want you to see is their prayers. And it's something that they're laying under the altar. They have been sacrificed. They have been slain. They have been slaughtered. And they find time to pray. You look in verse 10, it says, They cried out with a loud voice. I'll tell you, first thing that reminds me of is that we don't really get passionate about something. Until there's pressure. It, remind, it reminds me, if you just want to know, of the man, the rich man, found in Luke 16. The rich man in Lazarus. That rich man didn't have time enough for, for, for the poor guy. He didn't have time enough for God. He didn't have a place for God in his life. He had arrived. He had made it. He was rich. But boy, when he got knee deep in the fires of, of hell... He began to cry out. He began to call out. You see, folks, today we live in such comfortable surroundings. Let's just just laugh at ourselves a second. The last two weeks, we were a little warm in this room and thought, man, I am suffering for Jesus. The truth is, uh, uh, Pud and, and Lucy just got back. They can probably tell you some stories about being uncomfortable. They got back from Guatemala. They can tell you some stories about being uncomfortable. They can t- probably tell you some stories about about being persecuted. These guys prayed, they cried out because they wanted to be heard. You realize that Jesus said it's not in the amount of your words that you be heard in your prayer, it's in the intent of your heart. I dare say we don't even we don't even pray until we something goes wrong and then we get so pra- passionate about it. You see, these martyrs still loved God, and they, yet they recognized His godly attributes. Look how they started their prayer. They said, Lord, the one who is holy and true. I could stop here and just preach an entire message because too often we believe, we believe that God does not save us through it, but He'll save us from it. That's not right. He said they say, "Lord, how long until you judge these people who live on earth? How long until you avenge our blood?" These martyrs are crying out. Matthew 24 Jesus says, they will hand you over to be persecuted. It reminds us, it reminds us that persecution is coming for the follower of Christ. Their prayer was, Lord, how long? Do you know there's another prayer in the Bible? How long? How long? Habakkuk said, you know, how long, Lord? How long must I call for help? I believe that the prayer of the saints here, that the martyrs, it was not much about vengeance as it was about the vindication of their life. They wanted other Christ followers to be protected and helped. God hears the prayer of the saint. Particularly when the saint is calling out with passion. How long has it been since you spoke to the Lord with passion? With real passion. Well, I did, but he didn't answer. I prayed for my cousin to be healed, and he wasn't. Well, let's investigate that. He wasn't healed the way you prayed for him to be healed. But if he was a Christian, he's healed today. God just didn't answer it the way you wanted him to. You see, his plan is bigger than ours. His ways are bigger than ours. He wants to call us to himself. Their prayers, their pain. How about their patience? The third thing. How about their patience? After they prayed this prayer, it says... They were told to rest. Rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants, till it's completed. The martyrs are given also a white robe. Have you ever thought about that? Why are they given a white robe? I suggest two reasons for you. Number one is because it indicated the purity of their life, because their life had been... Uh, Say they've been saved by the blood of Jesus, and so their black soul had been through the blood, the red blood of Jesus, and washed as white as snow. Is that an easy mathematical uh, formula for everybody? Because when He as white as snow, you begin to follow Jesus, you begin to testify for Jesus, you begin to to live your life for Jesus. But another another reason they're given a white robe, maybe, is that when they appear again. In chapter 7 and 13 and 14, John will recognize them as the one who wears the white robe. But they were told to rest. Now, this is interesting. This kind of beats us up and tears on our theology. They were told not to rest until their, the, all, of the, all of their brothers and sisters got saved. We like that. Just rest until they all got saved. That's not what it says. If you look back in your Bible, it says, I want you to rest Until all your fellow servants and all of them and the right number have been killed. You see, it's getting, under the judgment of God, it's getting worse and worse and worse. Do you think today that it's just going to get better? I'm going to just tell you God's judgment continues, rebellion continues. As long as God's judgment continues, the rebellious creation will continue to take it out on those who trust God, those who won't receive the mark, those who won't follow them. Just rest and be patient. You know why? Are you listening? Let me give you a word. God's still on the throne. God's still on the throne. There's still chaos on earth. There's still in heaven, and God is still on the throne. We can stop right here and offer an invitation to everybody in this room, because here's what we need to grasp. Creation is in rebellion against their Creator. So the Creator is judging the rebellious creation. And the result is this. Those who remain on earth in rebellion, are you listening, will be judged and ultimately cast into the lake of fire. Jesus offers you and me a way to miss all of this. He offers us a way to walk with Him daily. He offers us a way to to miss being martyred. He offers us a way to be forgiven. He offers a way to be made clean. He offers us a way to be made white as snow. This could be your day of salvation. If you would simply turn to Christ, believe in who He is, give your life to Him, invite Him into your life. And instead of being a martyr, you could become a resident of the throne room. Experience in worship. The fifth seal. I encourage you to come to Jesus today because you think things can't get worse. Well, they're about to get a lot worse. As he opens the sixth seal. And instead of seeing the sacrifice of the saints, look at the sentence for the sinners. When the fifth seal's open, we just see a group of martyrs. It's a sad sight, yet it's a victorious sight of the martyrs under the altar. When the sixth seal opens, we hear something. We feel something. And then we see something. And things begin to take a downturn worse. Hill with the sixth seal, violent earthquake occurs, sun turned to black like sackcloth made of of hair, the entire moon became like blood, stars of heaven fall to the earth as the fig tree drops its unripe figs when shaken by a high wind, sky splits apart like a scroll, and every mountain and island was being moved from its place. Just to get your hands on it, let me offer you three thoughts here. The first thing that I see when I read this is divine destruction. Divine destruction. Look at the happenings. I just read them. A violent earthquake. The sun turns black. The moon turns red. The stars fall from the sky. The sky splits splits apart. And land masses are relocated. You see, the, the truth is, can you, I, I ask you, can you just imagine that scene? In less than three and a half years, millions of people have disappeared. The world's systems have broken down, and the world came to the conclusion, okay, we're going to get, the world has come to the conclusion, if we just get the right leader and do it the right way, everything will be okay. And I am just going to tell you all something. You know what the truth is? That mindset is still, is already here on planet Earth. If we can get the right leaders and do the right things and make the right decisions, everything will be okay. You see, what, what, what prompts that mindset is that there are people who think, listen, they think mankind is basically good. And they think if they get the right leader, the right policy, the right direction the right personnel, it'll all be good. Here's what they don't know, and we know. Mankind is at his very roots, sinful, selfish, and self-centered. And left to our own, we will destroy planet Earth. It's obvious that the leaders thought they had it all under control, and then Jesus went and did something like open the sixth seal and messed up everything. And now all of a sudden, when they think they have it all under control, the sixth seal opens, and all this begins, and they begin to understand that they don't have it all under control. The earthquakes to the point. Let me just paint you this picture as we've read the Scripture. Earthquakes to the point that the tectonic plates shift and long dormant and inactive volcanoes begin to erupt. And it erupts with such force that it blows the tops off of them and it throws ash into the atmosphere, the air, to the point that you can't even see the sun. To the point that you look up and the moon looks Red. And then you could look around and, and wherever an island used to be, now it's moved to someplace else. Wherever a mountain used to be, it's moved to someplace else. People who thought they were in charge of everything and were headed right now realize their littleness, their smallness, their ineptness. Because God is on the throne. But don't only see that, I want you to see those people who led those elites, those in charge. I want you to see the second thing that I discovered here, and that is the deserved disgrace that they have. We've read it three or four times, verse 15: the, the kings and nobles, generals, rich, powerful, young, and old, slave, free, all the residents of the earth run for their lives. They know now that their power and that their position that they thought they had is of little use before the one who sits on the throne. Are you looking at that list? We could be some of those. We can be some of those. Self-confident, self-sufficient. And now if you look here, they're all running for their lives. They all are running for their lives. They finally realize who's in control. They finally know that he is in, in charge. and they also realize, are you listening? that they're no match for him. They've fallen into disgrace because their pride has been such a driving force, and they're such disgrace that they are running and hiding. They failed. For it's a failure. It's a failure to them to recognize who God is. It's a failure to them to receive God's offer of generosity of grace. It's a failure to them to live life for Him. They failed to follow God and walked the narrow way. And they chose to rebel against God, walk the world's way, the easy way. They hadn't paid the price of walking with God. And now they will pay the price, ultimately. One more thing I see here not only the divine destruction or devastation is sent from heaven, not only their deserved disgrace, but finally their desired death. When I put all these facts out here, we read them in the Bible, it would be logical. Are you listening? It would be logical. For this crowd, who has ruled during the crisis who has shown arrogance before God, it would, be, it would be logical when you read this that now they know who is in charge. It would be logical for them to now cry out to God and ask for mercy, ask for salvation, ask for, for what He has to offer because they know who's doing this. But listen, their hearts are so hardened that they prefer death to salvation. I hope there's no one in this room who prefers death to salvation. You, you watch them, they're hiding, they're running. Because they know and they don't believe. They may die a physical death, and they may think that's going to be the end of it. But what they don't yet grasp is that eternal punishment awaits them. They probably believe. Let me put it in the past tense. They probably believed that they could stand up to the Lamb. They probably believed they could stand before the one on the throne. They could be the ones that are in the churches in the 21st century saying, you know what the truth is? I don't really need what the preacher's pushing. I don't need what the Bible is saying. I can do it all my own. I got my life to live. Just leave me alone. And God says, and here it is. They come to the conclusion, having endured this, the great day of wrath from the one seated on the throne, that would be God, and from the Lamb, that would be Jesus, has come. And their question is, who is able to stand? And the answer to that question today is, brothers and sisters, nobody. No one who's thumbed their nose at a true walk with Jesus will be able to stand. No one who tells Jesus no will be able to stand. No one who's only given Jesus a casual look will be able to stand. No one who has said yes at an altar but said no in the world to Jesus will be able to stand. The only people who will be able to stand in that day are those who have been redeemed regenerated and renewed by the power of God and who walk daily with Jesus and allow their lives to reflect Jesus. The people who will be able to stand in that day are people who were caught away in the rapture. People who were martyred during the tribulation. Who can stand People who have a relationship with God through Jesus. I know you're tired of me saying this, but I, I get so, I'm so fright, frightened that I get into eternity and there is one of us in this room that goes, You know, Brother Jerry, I attended church every Sunday. Why didn't you tell me the truth? Here's what I'm going to tell you. It's not, about, it's not just about your attending church church. Services Certainly that should be a part of your life. A regular part. A weekly part of your life. A committed part of your life. But that alone is not going to get you to be able to stand. People who have God in the center. I want to be clear about this before I end. In the center of your life. By the way, God only accepts one place in your life. Our Lord Jesus accepts only one place in your life. He never says, come to me and let me take part in your life. He says, come to me and give me your life. He doesn't come in to take part. He comes in to take over. The only place that He accepts in your life is sinners. When you start to scoot him out, he will move out and bow out like a gentleman. He declines to take part if you're going to give him second place. He declines to take part if you're going to have other priorities. He he declines from you. He requires all or nothing. Never been a poker prayer, but I know enough about this to know that there comes a time when you go all in. Everything you got on the table you put in, you risk it all. With your spiritual life, with your eternal life, in this time of judgment, it's all or nothing. Who will be able to stand? Only the one that's given Him their all. Let's pray together.